This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right, I'm going to um, start the sermon with an illustration, and I hope you agree with me that this is a beautiful illustration, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour coffee into a coffee mug. Is anything more beautiful than that? Can I get a witness? Ah, yes, I'm filling up this mug with glorious coffee, and that's true, that's happening But what is less evident is something else is occurring simultaneous to pouring the coffee in. Because prior to that coffee being in the mug, it wasn't empty. It's filled with something. Nothing has nothing in it. Everything has something in it. And there was air in it. And you think about air. Yeah, there's oxygen, nitrogen, all that. But there's also dust particles and germs and hair particles and all that. And as the glorious coffee goes in, all the other stuff is pushed out. The more it's filled up with coffee, the less it's filled up with other things. Carefully moving this back so I don't spill this. And by the way, I say glorious coffee. Truth is, I like old decaf coffee that we never drink. I was going to fill it up with really good coffee, you know what I mean? But uh, the point is that as the coffee goes in, other things come out. And I want to talk to you this morning about faith. Now, when I say faith, I think we can hear kind of the ambiguous religiosity. Oh, I have faith. That person's person of faith. And I don't mean that. What I, what I actually mean is the Bible word faith. Faith is a key word in the book of Romans. It is used time and time again. And that word literally means a trust, a deep trust. We talked about it just a few weeks ago when I reminded you, you're showing faith right now in that chair. It is believing. It is putting your weight on. And, and I'm talking about, about your faith. And I want you to know the more full you are of trust, a deep trust in God, God will use that to push other things out of your life. I think it's what Paul is pointing out when he's talking about um, this in Romans 3. It's really the result or the power of faith in someone's life. He's been trying to illustrate for them very clearly that it's faith that saves and not works. This goes all the way back to Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it's the power of God to salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also to the Greek, to all who believe, to all who have faith. He's trying to say very clearly, our works don't save us. It's faith that saves us. What we get to at the end of chapter three is here are some results then of someone who's living a life of faith. And what I want to do is point out three deeply seated sins. These sins go down to the core of who we are. 
And I believe the deeper our faith goes, the more these sins are eradicated. So here's the big idea of the day. I will eradicate deep-seated sin as I grow in deeper trust in God. It's another way of saying faith, just trust. I will eradicate deep-seated sin as I grow in deeper trust to God. I don't know how you feel in your life, but there are just some things I want out of my life. There are just some characteristics I wish I could just be done with in my life. And I could preach about a lot of things. What I'm going to do is take from the text today. What is a text teaching us? And we're going to grab this text and point out three deep-seated, these are sins that go deep in our soul, but deep-seated sins that can be eradicated as we put more trust in God. So write this one down first. Uh, Less boasting and more trust in God's glory. Less boasting and more trust in God's glory. And that's coming right from, obviously, verse number 27. It's very clear in the text where this is coming from, but let's see it together. Uh, Verse number 27, what then becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It's not about our works, and therefore we have nothing to boast in. So we need to ask the question, well, what does boasting mean? What's exactly in in Paul's mind here? And so uh, here's a definition of the Greek word that I think is helpful to us. And it's this, to express an unusually high amount of confidence in oneself. Now, I added the in oneself because it could be you're boasting about, you know, your wife lasagna, and maybe you have a high amount of confidence in her lasagna or whatever it is. But this text specifically is talking about in one's self, in one's actually ability to save themselves. And it says there, uh, uh, what comes of our boasting? Where's boasting? And uh, Paul's very clear, no, it's excluded. It's not a part of the Christian's life. The Jews had something they could boast about. Listen, they were God's chosen people. That's true. They had been given the law. They had the patriarchs. They had lots of things to say. Look at us. We're amazing. Look at us. We're incredible. And and Paul says, hey, that unusual amount of high confidence in yourself, yeah, that is, is wrong. And Jesus explained boasting this way when he told the story in Luke chapter 18. He said, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I do this and I do that. I read my Bible every day. I pray every day on my way to work and for my mealtimes. I give to the church. I go to church at least twice a month. I, I, I. Now, the problem with the Pharisee wasn't that these things weren't true of him. They may have been true. The problem was a focus problem. Listen, boasting is a focus problem. It focuses on me and what I have done. Look at me, admire me, and let's be honest, 
there is something deeply seated within us that really longs for the admiration of other people. And if you doubt that, then let's talk about social media a bit this morning. Isn't the very essence of social media, hey, look at me, and please like me, and like what I do, and admire me. Here's the life I'm living. You need to admire that life. There's a whole like occupation now. That's a YouTube influencer, which is all it is, is look at the amazing life that I live and you can be like me and live my amazing life too. I do this, I do that. I drink my water out of a Stanley cup. Is that a little too close to home? All right. Gear up because it's coming more and more. Today's pick on Stanley Cup Day, just so you know. This is a, that's the day. I don't know. I just, I've seen myself doing this too frequently. Look at me. Look what I have done. And be impressed by me. And, and we want to show the world that we deeply desire this admiration that comes. And so we, we boast. So I'll say it this way. Uh, there is no room for boasting in the gospel. Or to say it a little more clearly, we can boast in the gospel. We should boast in the gospel. Can I get a witness? I want to boast in the gospel. But boasting in the gospel is all about boasting in what God has done. The focus is on God, not what I have done. There's no room for personal boasting. There's no room for bringing myself up uh, in that. Uh, not in the gospel. So personal, selfish boasting, there's no place for that in the gospel. But now the word means more than just the expression. It's the expression of something, and that something is a super high confidence in oneself. And so, and so maybe you don't boast, but maybe you really believe that you've got what it takes to make things happen. And maybe your struggle is, you know what? I'm pretty smart. I'm, I, can get, I can figure stuff out. And I'm pretty confident in my ability to get my hand on something. So I'll, I'll say it this way. There's no room for self-reliance in the gospel. You know what this problem needs? This problem needs me. And I tell you, this is a struggle that I know I have. Adam and I have, have shared this in, in, as we've tried to grow in this in our time as pastors of redemption because we both really admire people who can just get stuff done. Like, we love people who can just get their heads down and get stuff done. And we've often said, you know the people I like? I like people who can jujitsu a problem into submission. That's what I like. Because our belief, really, is, well, if I can just get my head in this and my resilience and my determination, we can get this figured out. Now, you need to have confidence as a pastor. I think that if you don't have confidence, you shouldn't do this, but where should my confidence as a pastor be? Who should my confidence be in, church? It should be in God. My confidence should be in what God can do in spite of me. And this problem doesn't need me getting my head around it, though I gotta get my head around problems. The ultimate hope for this is that God is in control and God has this and I need to trust in the Lord. 
It's not my works. Now, let me show you this in the text, okay? Look at this in the text. We'll do some, there's a lot of statement there, a lot of application. Let's get into the exegesis, the picking apart of the text, where this comes from. So look at verse number 27. What then becomes of our boasting, Paul says, it's excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of, what's the word, church? Faith, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So the whole point of the gospel is, I don't have what it takes. The whole point of the gospel is, I can't do anything to earn this. That's why Paul said to the church in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, in that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, so that no one can boast. And if you even had one work to bring to the table when it came to your salvation, then you can brag about that work. But to really come to the gospel, we have to believe we have nothing to offer. We can't do this. Let me prove it to you that we can't do this. And let's just talk about the Ten Commandments for a moment. I found this picture. Apparently, this dude is still really into the old King James. That's fine. We'll work with it still. So here are some of the Ten Commandments. One is uh, we should not covet. So covet is to look at somebody else's stuff and say, ooh, I wish I had that for me. How are you doing on that? And social media is like all about this, right? Look at this and look at this. And oh, I wish I had that. And oh, I wish I took that vacation. And oh, I wish I had that car. And oh, I wish I had that cup. It's coming. There's lots of them that are gonna come. That's just one, another one of them. Uh, but, the, but you know, that's, that's like the covetousness is just inbred in us. And we just, we want, we want, we want, we want. How are you doing on that? Like we've already failed. Bible says, don't bear false witness. Scripture is filled with thou shalt not lie, so to speak, or don't, don't, um, don't lie. In fact, Proverbs says that six thing God hates you, seven are abomination to him. The first thing is a lying tongue. So God hates lies. Have you lied? And even if you say, no, I don't lie. I hate lies. I don't lie. Lies are the worst thing that can happen. Well, you're not lying doesn't get you to heaven. It doesn't. It's not by works. Don't commit adultery. And then scripture says, or Jesus said later, to look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so, man, we're just, we're just talking the Ten Commandments. And by the way, when we say law, law biblically, understanding that, yes, it's the Old Testament law, and some of that Jesus fulfilled and did away with with his coming. But really, when we talk about law, and often while the Bible uses the word law, is any commandment of God. That's both Old Testament and New Testament. Remember, God gives commands, that's law. And we fail them all. We fail in obeying the word of God. And therefore, we have nothing to bring to the table. So what do we have to boast about? The gospel tells us straight up there's nothing we have to be proud of in ourselves and to boast about in ourselves. So where is boasting? Boasting is there's no room for boasting in the gospel. Here's here's the deal. I don't want to focus on me. I'm nothing. Where should we want the focus to be? On God. See, here's, here's what's happening deep-seated in our hearts. We believe that to, for life to be satisfying, for life to be joyful, we need a little admiration. 
I need people to think well of me. If life's going to really be good, I need some likes. I need some encouragement that way. I need some, and, and, and we want a little bit of that glory. So we boast, so we post. So we believe that we can do it, that we have enough. But the more I live for, the more we live for our glory, that pushes out living for God's glory. And what's the thing that really satisfies our soul? <laughs> it's God's glory. And I just have to believe that deeply. So it's trusting that God's glory really satisfies, trusting that's not about me in my glory. So less boasting and more trust in God's glory. How's that going for you in your life? I'm not good. I kind of doing a lot of boasting recently. Okay, well, let's Talk about what to do about that then, and we'll get to there at the end of the sermon. But here's the next one. So number one, less boasting, more trust in God's glory. Here's a second sin that's eradicated from the gospel. It's this, less prejudice, more trust in God's glory. Less prejudice, more trust in God's gospel, I should say. Less prejudice, more trust in God's gospel. Now, as soon as I put the word prejudice up in a congregation full of mostly white people, uh, I automatically get some, whoa, hold on a second, pal. Where are you going with this? We're not prejudiced, we're not racist, and there's some pushback. Well, listen, I'm not calling you racist today. Today. But can't we admit there's some prejudice in our heart? And I wanna show this to you, but first of all, let's show you where this is coming from in the text. So let's go on to the next verse here, uh, verse number uh, uh, 29. Or... Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. So here's where it gets getting a little confusing uh, for uh, some folks here. It's like, well, uh, we have the law. And, and so we need this law uh, to save us. We uh, have the law. And isn't that how God saves? And, and, and no one else was given the law. The Jews were given the law. No one else had the patriarchs. The Jews had the patriarchs. Abraham was a Jew after all. And so therefore, aren't we special? Aren't we unique and all of that? Well, here's what Paul says that's really interesting. And that is, it was never by the works of the law that someone was saved. It was never by the works of the law. It was always by faith. Take a look at the text. Uh, verse number, again, 29, is, is God the God of Jews only? Isn't it also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Well, hold on a second. Didn't they have to be circumcised? Yes, to be a Jew, but to be saved? No. They had to have faith. Now, by the way, what Paul's gonna do next is spend a lot of chapter four talking about Abraham and how he lived a life of faith. And what we're gonna do, we're doing Genesis and Romans together. So we're gonna pause Romans starting next week. We're gonna hit the pause button on Romans for a moment because we're gonna go back and talk about Abraham. It's where we left off in Genesis. So we'll go back and we'll lay some foundational work as we study the life of Abraham for a season. And then we'll come back and say, okay, we're having that knowledge, that foundation. Now let's talk about how his life was really a life of faith. And these two things will come together, we hope, in a very beautiful, beautiful way. But here's the point. When it comes to salvation, 
the Jews weren't special. Now they were God's chosen people, yes. They'd been given the oracles of God, yes. And and Paul says in some texts here in Romans, that is a special and wonderful thing. But when it came to salvation, they weren't unique. And listen, they weren't better than. God is a God of all, listen, all who have, especially all who have faith. So believer, are we better than? Where, where are you tempted to believe that you're better than? And I hope that God does for you what God has done for me in my life, and that has shown me some things that I didn't even realize were in my heart when it came to that. Like, for example, the first time I went to Africa, and here's a picture of that with uh, before glasses and before beard. This is baby-faced Jamie. Uh, and uh, in Africa, and um, I didn't have racial prejudice uh, when I went, not at all. Um, but what I what I had was privilege uh, prejudice a little bit, because it, it surprised me. It was, it's, and I'm very clear to remember, like being surprised. Wow, these these folks in the boondocks of Africa are very intelligent people, and for some reason that was surprised to me. Why? Because I'm an American. I have education. Of course, we're intelligent. If they were intelligent, they would live more like us. Well, it wasn't necessarily true because some of these folks, and I just had class with them this past week. A bunch of pastors were walking through systematic theology, both in Kenya and Uganda. It's a great class. And some of these men are very, very intelligent indeed. But my prejudice was there and it really came to the surface. And I'm wondering again, maybe where do you struggle with prejudice? Uh, Maybe this picture will help reveal some things. Prejudice? See someone dressed like that in, uh, I don't know, some store? And be like, oh, I would never go to the store in my pajamas. I'm better than. Or how about this? You gotta be careful on both sides of this next one. So you see images like this and you can either have prejudice against people who are overweight, yes, or maybe you have prejudice against people who aren't. Those CrossFit people can't seem to work out without posting it online. Like, okay, but are we prejudiced against them? Like, oh, that's so frustrating. They obviously have bad hearts or whatever the case may be. And we, we just judge. We're just constantly judging. That is the root word of prejudice, prejudging. How about this gal? I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm really miffed because I I stood at Target for hours and didn't get one, so I'm really miffed about it, actually. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't do that. I don't know, I don't know. I guess I, I know that in my life, if I'm being honest, there have been times where I have it's been evidence that I've prejudged others. And so, okay, like you said, less prejudice, more gospel. How does the gospel impact that? Well, think about it, man. The foundation for prejudice is I am better. <laughs> but the gospel reveals that we are truly better than no one. The saying goes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross but it's really true. We're all sinners and we all need Jesus. 
The question is, do I really believe what we say about ourselves or do we really believe what God says about us? We're not better than. And so listen, the more I fill up with the truths of the gospel, right, the more my life gets filled up and I trust what the gospel has said about who I am and what God has done, man, the the less I can look at other people with judgment at all. Why would I judge anybody else when I'm not worthy of judging anyone, anything? And that deeper faith, that deeper focus on the gospel pushes out that prejudice. Less boasting, more trust in God's glory. Less prejudice, more trust in God's gospel. And then write this one down. I'll have to unpack it for you, but write it down. Here it is. Less lawlessness, more trust in God's guidance. Less lawlessness and more trust in God's guidance. So Paul is doing what he does, which is, if you look at this, there's a series of questions. So 27 is a question. Then what becomes of our boasting? And then he answers that question. And then now he, in verse 29, is a question. Is God the God of Jews only? And of course, he answers that question. And then he has another question in verse number 31. And it just is a logical question. So if you're saying that it's faith and not the law, then what does that mean about the law? As he puts it here, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And how he answers that question, the original language is actually very, very strong. He says here, by no means in the original language, may it never be. It's a very strong way of saying absolutely not. And then he makes what might be a confusing statement. He says, on the contrary, look at this, we uphold the law. That word could be establish. We establish the law. Another word that we could substitute there would be validate. We validate the law. We prove the law is right and good. Well, how does that work, man? If we're not saved by the law, but we're saved by faith, isn't law is bad and faith is good? Well, when it comes to salvation, yes. When it comes to living life, When it comes to God giving us guidance for life, is the law bad? Not at all. It's it's a great thing. All the law is, is God saying, this is how life works, and this is what pleases me, and this is what doesn't please me. Now, again, don't think ceremonial law that Jesus has already fulfilled, but think any commandment of God. All the commandments of God are given to us to help us live life to the best. I'll say it this way. The best life you can live is one in obedience to God's word. The most joyful life you can live is one in submission to God's word. It is God's word that gives us direction how to live life best. Do what God says and your life will be better Stop doing what God forbids and you will have more joy. Let me prove that to you in a verse. Here is John 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. I think any parent understands this. Hey, you shouldn't eat all that junk food, kids. 
Why do we say that? Because we're cruel and evil and want to keep junk food away from our children and the good food away from our kids? No, we know that junk food brings bad health. Hey, you should get to bed at a decent hour, children. Uh Uh-huh, I know, I have kids. Why are you saying that? Because you want to keep us from the fun things that happen at 3.30 a.m.? No, because nothing good happens at 3.30 a.m. Can I get a witness? And when you don't sleep at night, you're a real grump the next day, and life doesn't go well for you. And this is, this is God's word for us. One preacher said it this way. When God says don't, what he really means is don't hurt yourself. When God, God's word says don't, what he really means is don't hurt yourself. Ask anyone who's committed adultery if that adultery really made their life any better. And I think if they were honest with you, they would say, are you kidding me? All the hiding, all the guilt, all the shame. No, it did not make my life better. Ask anyone recovering from alcoholism and alcohol if if drunkenness really added a lot to their life. God's word says don't be drunk with wine. Has drunkenness really made your life better? No, it really has not. We can go through every sin and have the same thing. So, so, God gave us his commandments. God gave us his law. And when we operate and function, listen to me, as the law was intended to function, never as a way of salvation, but always as a guide for living life, man, it is the best life. In fact, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna completely rip off a illustration from John Piper. This is completely stolen from him because uh, it's a very good illustration that helps me, help me understand this text specifically. What does Paul mean by you be validate the law? We establish the law. What does that mean? Well, we show that the law is good and right. And so here's the illustration I think would really help us. Uh, imagine being uh, uh, standing on a roller coaster and behind you is a 30-foot fall and ahead of you is a 30-foot climb. It's huge, it's super high. And, and you can't, it, it, it's, it's it, on the top of the car, you can, you can see, I'm sorry, on the top of the hill, there is the little car there ready. But, but, but Mr. Moses comes and Mr. Moses says to you, hey, climb it, ascend the hill. You're like, whoa, okay, all right. So you start using the railings and the track and you begin trying to climb it up and it's hard, it's difficult, it's a steep climb and you slip a little bit and you catch yourself and you're trying to go and eventually you say, I can't do this. And then Mr. Paul comes along and Mr. Paul says, no, 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 come down, listen. It was never meant to be climbed by you alone. What we have is a crane. And the crane is faith, uh, sorry, grace. The crane is grace. And he brings the grace crane over and they lower the, the, the vest down. And he says, hey, trust me, believe me and strap on this vest. And so by faith, we put on the grace vest and it rises us to the top and it places us in that car. And now we go. And we are on the tracks that God has built for us. And it's a ride, baby. It's a ride. 
And there are high highs, yes, and there are low lows. And you come all the way around to where you were standing, but now you start at the top of that 30-foot climb and you zoom down that hill and zoom up the other side because it's always been by grace. Now, does that mean that the structure of the roller coaster was bad and wrong? Not at all. It was given to make the ride a thrilling ride if we use it for what's intended. And that's what the, the law, that's what God's commandments are meant to do. It's the best life. By faith, get in that car and trust in the ride. I say trust in it. Because aren't there times in your life when you don't trust what God's word has said? That we believe it really isn't gonna bring the best life? People have said, yeah, I'm married, but all this person at work, they just think I'm so great, they think I'm wonderful, and, and they like being with me, and they think my jokes are funny, and they think I'm handsome, and my wife doesn't do that anymore. She doesn't pay attention to me, and, and for life to be what it needs to be, I really need to have this person in my life. Even though God's word says adultery is wrong, some people have said, I need this for my happiness, and what that is is not trusting in God's word. Yeah, God's word says don't be drunk with wine, but man, I want to party. I want to live life. I want to enjoy it. So I'm going to set aside God's law to do what I want to do. And though we might never deny that God has a law, we live like God's law doesn't matter. And we live like his law doesn't actually make life better. But what we need is more faith, deeper trust. God's word is right. I'm gonna trust it. It's that deeper faith for all of these things, a deeper faith in God's glory that it brings satisfaction a deeper faith in God's gospel and what it tells me about who I am and a deeper faith in God's guidance, God's word as a way of living life. So how do we respond today? I'm gonna have the worship team come now. How should we respond to this? Isn't your temptation kind of right now to say, okay, man, I'm sick of my boasting. I'm sick of um, you know, my lawlessness. Uh, I'm sick of all of this. So I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do better. Tomorrow I'm gonna do better. And I wanna say to you, that's the opposite response, right? Because it's going back to the works to do better. It's not your works that are gonna save you. What we need to do in this moment is trust deeper. Not do better, but trust deeper. Listen, to eradicate deeply seated sin, we need to have a deeper faith. And to get that, God's word says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by, church, do you know it? The words of Christ. And what, our, what we need in our lives is more focus on the words of Christ. We need more focus on his word and the gospel. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, man, I need to do better, then what you need to do really is focus more on the gospel and believe it deeper. So I'm gonna pray. What we're gonna do is we're gonna sing and I want you to really pay attention to the words. We have the song chosen specifically for this moment. And 
I want you to let your eyes and your heart focus on the words of the song, and I want you to sing them deeply from your heart as an exercise of trust in our God. So let's pray together. God, we do thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love. And Lord, I'm sick of the boasting that I have in my life. I'm sick of the prejudice that I see creeping up in my heart. Father, I'm sick of my self-reliance, believing that I can do it in my own strength. Lord, I'm really, really sick of times when I choose my heart desires over what your law has said. And Father, I just need help with that. And um, the way I get help with that is by staring at the gospel and asking you, Father, to deepen my trust in you. When I was a wretch, unable to save myself, you saved me. God, pour that deeper into our hearts this morning, even as we sing this song for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As a wretch, I remember who I was. I was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time. My sin separated, the bridge was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside And there at the cross you paid the debt I owe Broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I had hope Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white Thank you, Jesus, you have saved darkness into glorious light. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And no death has no steep and life has no end for I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb thank you Jesus for the blood applied thank you Jesus it has washed me by Jesus. 
that God has died for boastful people. I'm so thankful that Jesus died for prejudiced people. I'm so thankful that God has died for lawless uh, people, people who live as if there is no law because I have been all of those things. But the blood of Jesus has cleansed me and made me whole and I believe it. And tomorrow I gotta believe that deeper and deeper and deeper and live more in that, that faith, that trust in him. And that'll change the way that I live. So Father, we give that to you. We ask you to do it. And not just in us, Father, but then as we feel that joy and that freedom that comes from living in the gospel, God, I pray that we would then reach out to those around us who need to hear it and be proclaimers of this gospel. And that Father, you would change our lives and the lives around us, but do it for your glory. God, thank you for your word. It's so rich, there's so much in it for us. And help us to just seek to live in according to, because it is the way of the most joyful, the most happy, the best life. Let us be lovers of your word to that degree we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, you are loved. <laughs>